Well, if there's any doubt, there shouldn't be. We praise the name of Jesus in this place, and we lift him high, and he is the reason we are here and the reason we gather each and every week. It is so good to worship together with you. We are in this series and actually wrapping up the series today, My Crazy Family. And I hope this has been a time where you have been able to dive a little deeper into family life and what it means, because I believe God wants wholeness for our families. He's created these places for us to be nourished, to grow in faith and in community and in love. And God's word speaks so much about the family and, and, and just his vision and his passion for us in that way. We've been talking about the family over the last few years, a uh, few years, yeah, we have been, the uh, last few weeks as well. And um, what, we began with week one talking about embracing the crazy. Family life is just going to be crazy. There's going to be lots of things going on where every season we're in a different stage, in a different phase. Can you attest to that? It's always changing. We're never just in that one space, and, and so many times we just want to get through it to the next thing, and I think God is telling us, be in the moment. Be in that phase. It is exactly where God has you in this time, in this season, as difficult as it might be. God wants to bring something out of that. God continues to use brokenness and bring healing, and he has used families that have had all kinds of struggles we see throughout Scripture, that he uses the family for his purpose, and it's beautiful. In the week, and the second week, we talk about the, the, um, the strife that families experience, that there's a lot of, um, you know, family feuds, and there are challenges, and that's just a part of living in close proximity with each other. And spending life together and getting to know each other, there's going to be challenges. There are going to be difficulties. But how do we settle that family feud? How do we move from brokenness to a place of blessing? And the Bible talks about that, from not sweating the small stuff to learning how to confront one another, dealing with forgiveness and taking those hard steps, and ultimately discovering what it can happen when there's reconciliation and there's restoration. And that's our hope and prayer for families. Last week, then, we talked about the place of faith in the family. And how God has given us this, this family to be the first place where we impart a faith. And we live this legacy of faith that is there from, from generation to generation. Maybe you've been the recipient of that and you are blessed because of that. Or maybe it begins with you now. That you begin to set a new course for your family. That we would live long and prosper and live those blessed lives. And when we think about our families, remember last week we talked about that if we don't give our kids a holy story to belong to, this world is going to give them a hollow one to belong to and holy to be set apart for the purposes of God. And so today, though, we want to continue to look at family, but we're going to look at a little different place because maybe you have a crazy family that's crazy awesome. Maybe it's crazy crazy. Maybe it's crazy, you know, struggling. Maybe you don't have a family that you really feel connected to. Maybe you feel abandoned or maybe you feel very isolated right now. But God's got another family for you, and that's the family that I want to talk about today. God's big, crazy family. We're going to talk about that today in part four called God's Crazy Family, the Church. Look around you. You got some crazy family members? <laughs> I've been around the church for 50 years. <laughs> My whole life, I've been part of a church. And there's been some crazy, beautiful things. There's been some crazy, crazy things. Church life can be difficult. Church life can be beautiful. Church life, it covers the range because we're a family. We have to learn what it means to be a family. I, I remember one of the crazy things that kind of shocked me was uh, I was a young youth pastor. I think I had just started at a church uh, in, in Anderson. I was um, Anderson, Indiana, South Meridian Church. And I was the youth pastor. And in the basement was the student uh, room, the, the youth room. 
and it was under the gym, and it had this old brown carpet, and I was like, I'm coming in. I, something about places I go with old carpet. I don't know. Um, but I've got to change the carpet. It's just part of my culture. It started early on in my ministry. So it had this brown carpet, and I was like, we don't have funds for this, but I'm going to raise some money. We're going to get a new carpet in here. So I decided to like cut out a big section of the carpet right by the front door um, entrance to the student lounge. I flipped it over. I painted it blue because that's the color that we were going to want to have it. And I cut it into little pieces, and I had this little fundraiser that said, help turn our brown carpet blue. And for every donation that was made, you know, for 25 bucks or whatever, I turned a, a square around, and the carpet would turn blue. And so I set that up on Sunday morning um, in the lobby, and I and, uh, wanted to start that fundraiser. Problem is I didn't know how like church worked and you know systems and teams and all that stuff and I didn't ask anybody. I didn't talk to anybody and after service um, I had a, a man come up to me from the trustees who was responsible for the building and he got in my face. I mean I think I felt some of his spit coming into my face as he was furious that I would do this without consulting the team and making those provisions and going through that process. And he just said, basically said, you know what, I can have you removed from this place. It's like that's the young encourage, the encouragement a young pastor needed on that, on that day. And, uh, and so we took our time replacing the carpet here. It only took six years, but we got it done. I didn't do it in six, six minutes like I did back in, back in the day. So there's been crazy, crazy experiences, painful experiences, beautiful experiences, rich, deep moments, places where I've seen the church rise up and, and, and express incredible generosity, and that's family life and how we connect with one another. And I want to talk about, again, this family today. What does it mean to be part of the church family? And I want to begin by saying this. God created us to be part of his spiritual family. But get this, he never intended us to simply be churchgoers or isolated independent believers. So we want to make a distinction right off the bat here. That we're not talking about just going to church, being a part of God's family. Just because you sit here does not necessarily mean you are part of God's family. Now, it might not even necessarily mean that you're part of the Meadow Park family. Now, the Meadow Park family has its doors open, and maybe you're just, you know, discovering the church. You're still trying to find that out. But you can be part of the Meadow Park family and still not be part of God's family. And what we mean by that is we open our doors, we open our hearts to say, you are welcome, you can be a part of what God is doing through this church, you can be attending here for years, and you can still not be a part of God's spiritual family. And I want to talk about that difference, and I want to talk about what does it mean to be a part of God's spiritual family, because this is the term family that we see in Scripture. That's how God describes his church, there's different ways he describes it, sometimes as a body, right, sometimes as a holy temple being built together, but one of the dominant descriptors is family. And why this idea of family? Why does God use this metaphor? Well, think about it from a natural family to a spiritual family. In a natural family, one of the most important things that we get from our natural family is an identity. Who are you? Who am I? Our family imparts that to us. We get to understand this is part of my family. This is part of my history. These are my parents. This is how I learned to grow in that. And spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. We learn our identity through this family, through this body. That's how we understand who we are. Family is a place of love and care, too, right? In your natural family, that's where you find that nurture, you find that support, where you can grow. Same thing in the church family. We need that love, we need that care, we need that support. In our natural families, there's order, there's structure, there's rules. And what begins to happen is there's a healthy boundary there, right? I don't know what's going on in that family, but maybe there aren't some healthy structures, boundaries, and rules, but something's going on. 
But when we have this, these, these boundaries, it's like this is what it means in our house. We know this is what it means to be part of our family. When we're in this house, when we're in this family, this is what we do. This is what crenzes do. This is who we are. And that's what happens in the church. This is the, the church family. There's some guidance, there's boundaries, and it helps us, and it helps us grow, right? It's a place where we can make mistakes. It's a place where we can find forgiveness, and we grow. That's how our kids grow up in families. They learn through that process, and so we do that in the church. And if parents um, have been able to do this, it's always a blessing, right? If they, you can leave an inheritance, and maybe it's a financial inheritance. Maybe it's a spiritual one, right? It's part of that legacy. Maybe it's just something that, that you have nurtured through, but families leave inheritances in that way. And so it is also with the spiritual family, that God promises us an inheritance for all eternity. So we see this, this metaphor of family, but I want us to understand a little bit better how do we become part of that family and what does it look like to be a part of this crazy family. So our new family, the church. Let's talk about that a little bit. How do you become part of this family? Again, I mean more than just coming and attending church, but the spiritual family. So let's look at John 3, uh, John chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. What does he mean, water and the Spirit? Water means humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. So the foundation of this, this whole idea of being born in the family of God is you have to be born spiritually. Now, born of water, that's the physical birth. We understand that, right? All, every single one of us was born into this world. We came in as a child. We were given new life, and we came into the world. And what Jesus is saying now, spiritually, if you want to be part of the family, you have to be born into that family too. Now, being born is not just being physical, but it's a spiritual birth. To be born anew, to have your eyes open, to have your spirit revealed an understanding that Jesus is Lord. That God is my creator, that I am here for a reason and a purpose. I've been forgiven for my sins. And now I rest on what Jesus did on the cross for me, and I have been born spiritually. There's a spiritual awakening. And every person that has become a follower of Jesus has at some moment in time, whether over a period of time or maybe in a moment, has had this moment to say, I've been born again. There's something new in me. There's a new life in me. The question is now what? There's a spiritual birth. What happens if we just let a, a, a baby born naturally, like a baby's born, and we just say, okay, you've been born, congratulations, welcome to the world. Figure it out. We just leave the baby there. Congratulations, you've been born. You have life. Everything you ever need, you're done, you're good. <laughs> we can go on with our lives. No. Spiritually, how many of us do that? I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Spiritual birth, you're a baby. You're spiritually new. What if we just say, good, you're fine now. Just go live your life. You don't need anything else. You don't need anyone else. Just you and God, you're good. No, it's a spiritual birth. You're born, but where do you need to be born? You need to be born into a family. And so this so continues here. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, God decided, this is such good news, in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and he gave him great pleasure. So congratulations, we're all adopted. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you've been born into the, the family, if you've, been, if you've experienced that spiritual rebirth, God says, I want to adopt you into this family. Here's a family, and this is what I wanted to do. I didn't want to leave you alone. I don't want to leave you as orphans. I want you to be connected in relationship as part of a family. And so that's how God begins to bring us together and begins to say, look, you're not just isolated. 
You're not just alone. You're not going to make it on your own. You need to be part of this family that's there to nurture you and to love you. And, can, and guess what? You have a father. You have a spiritual father. Galatians 5, 4, verses 5 and 6. God sent him, sent Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us, there it is again, as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. So there's something in our spirit that God has put in us when, when, we, when we have the spiritual birth, when we're connected to the family, that prompts us to call out, Abba, Father. Abba, Daddy. Abba means Papa. Abba means Dad. It's, and how many times when, when, when people think about faith that don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe you see God as, how do they call him Father? This, this scary, stern, maybe old man up there who's just, this, just this, this, this mean old guy. I don't know. That's sometimes I think how people picture it. Or it was like, you know, my kids, I don't know how many kids call their dads father, father, father. I mean, in our house, I've never get called father, unless it's kind of like jokingly or something. I get called dad. I get called daddy, right? There's something personal about it. There's something warm about it. There's something familiar about it. There's something that, that's more intimate than the distant, yes, I'm their father, but I'm their dad in relationship, right? That's how we relate to one another. And that's how God is saying there's something in our spirit that, that we approach God now from a way that's very familiar, that's very personal, very loving, and we say, Daddy, Dad, you have a spiritual dad, your father in heaven, and he wants to know you in that kind of personal way, and he wants to care and love for you just like that. And speaking of that love, 1 John 3, 1, see how very much our father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. So if God still feels distant, if God still feels like a creator out there, if, if Christianity still feels like a religion, if there's the, this thing that you do is you go to church and you have this holy book and there's these standards, you, you're missing what this is all about. It's about a personal, intimate relationship where you can call dad, your heavenly father, dad where you have a father who loves you unconditionally, and he says that's what he wants. He calls us his children. That's what we are, and he loves us unconditionally. And this is the relationship that begins in a family with a healthy relationship, understanding who we are and being born into that family in that way. But here's, the, here's where it gets more interesting for us. We have lots of family members. Now, if I were to ask you, um, who, who's my mother? Do you guys know my mother? You guys, many of you have met my mother. You guys know my sisters. My mother is Isolde Krenz, right? My sisters, I have three sisters, two older, one younger, Esther, Margaret, and Manuela, seven years younger than me. So these are my sisters. Jesus asked the same question to his disciples and those who were around him. In Matthew 12, we read, Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who were my brothers, right? So they just said, well, Mary, and you've got James, and you got some of these other, Jesus had some other brothers, and people could have pointed to that. But then to the, everyone's surprise, then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Right, that's like me saying, yeah, you know Isolde, my mom, right? And you know my sisters, maybe you don't, but that was my, but, but you, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're my mother, you're my father, you're, you're, you're our family. This is all of us together. 
in this relationship. Now, now in the church, you know, in times past, and maybe still in some churches, I think we've lost that over, over the years. What do we used to call one another in the church? Yeah. Oh, Brother Teeter. Yes. Yeah. Sister Teeter. Well, good to see you. Yeah. Brother Fairchild. Right. Right. Connie Fairchild. Mrs. You know, Sister Fairchild. Right. We would just call each other brother and sister. And there was something that when you would say that, that would create this, this, this family connection. I don't know if you know, many, you know, if you're old time Church of God folks, you remember, or maybe Gaither folks, you know the song, Family of God. You know, it says, we're a family of God. You will notice we say brother and sister around here. <laughs> That's my little country twang to it. <laughs> it's because we're a family and these folks are so dear. I don't know. I'll have a concert later tonight. Where's, give me a spot up here, Roger, come on. <laughs> we think we're good? They're covered, they're covered. But it's this, it was this tradition of saying brother and sister, right? We're connected. We're, we're a family. And for me, it was actually, even growing up in the, in the church that I grew up in, and it was a German-speaking congregation, uh, bilingual, but uh, German background. And everybody in the church, uh, anyone that was older than me, we called aunt and uncle. So and in German, tante und onkel. And so I had tante Heidi and uncle Vali, you know, and I called them all by their, you know, that, that's how they were known, aunts and uncles. And it was this, this family together of, of feeling that connection. And so you look around, and you say, you've got brothers and sisters. You've got little siblings, you've got older siblings, you've got aunts, you've got uncles, you've got grandparents that are here, you've got great-grandparents. And that's a beautiful picture of the church, and it's the spiritual thing that Jesus said, look, we've got brothers and sisters. Anyone who does the will of my Father, anyone who is connected in the spiritual bond, we are brothers and sisters, we are family, mothers and daughters. And we look at the intergenerationalness of the church, and we think about the older and the younger, both spiritually in age, but also physically in age. And I think about this beautiful connection and relationship and, and just a word here to say to, to how we relate as generations in the church. I think when we look at the church, there's, there's the methodology of the way we do things and then there's the foundations, the truths and the eternal things that are unchanging that we hold on to. And I believe it is the responsibility of the older generation, the spiritual parents and grandparents in the church to hold on to those truths and those values and to say, this is who we are, this is what we're about but to let the methodology to def give deference to that to the younger generation. To say, you figure out what that looks like. You figure out how you sing those songs. You figure out what that church looks like. You figure out what the programs are, and you give deference to the younger generation without sacrificing the fundamental truths of the faith. And the responsibility of the younger generation is to continue to discover what that faith looks like and how it's communicated in this world and in this culture and gives respect to the older. And to say, yes, we need you to continue to guide us and to, to get us and make sure we're on the right path. And it's how God designed the family to work together through the generations. So we have a large family. We've been born into it. We've been adopted in the family. We have a father. We have brothers and sisters in Christ together. We are the most diverse family in the world, though, because it goes further than that. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. This, this is now using the human body example, but it speaks to the family. The human body has many parts, but... The many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Now, we may not say it in that same way, but this was radical back then. Think about these words being spoken in that first century. There's some Jews and, and, and Gentiles. They did not mix together. 
they were like opposite ends of the spectrum, slaves and free, opposite ends of the spectrum. What is, what is he saying here? You are all one. We've all been baptized in the same spirit. We don't share a bloodline. You know what we share? A spirit line. It's not a bloodline. It's a spirit line. It's something that connects us through our faith, and that begins to create a oneness that creates a unity that brings us together. And that's a radical, radical diversity that we see here in Scripture. And then we read at the end of the book in Revelation a picture of what it's going to be like in heaven one day, what it's going to be like at the end of time. Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every tribe, every nation, and people, and language. Standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And it's just this picture of the day when, when all of us gather before the throne and we're not going to look around and go, everybody looks like us, talks like us, earns the same money as, as us, has the same educational background as us, lives in the same home as us, in the same country as us. No. I mean, think about the globe. Think about the world. Think about what you see here. If you take a look at this map. I mean, the family of God is present everywhere, and not just today, throughout the generations that we're going to be connected with, those that have gone before, those that are still yet to come, together, sharing together. And you think about this, and I think about our, our Honduran uh, mission team that's going now. What a cool experience is to leave what we have here and to step into a completely different culture Different economics, different, different social structures, different politics, different governments, different financial systems, different family systems. I mean, it's just, it's so different than it is here. And they're going to come together, and it's going to be like brother and sister in Christ. You're going to be sitting in a church, you're going to be worshiping, and they're not going to have an LED screen. Okay? They're not going to have as comfortable chairs. Some, some churches may. They may have one light, they may not have any lights. They may have electric guitars, they may have nothing. But you're going to be connected not because of those things. You're going to be connected because you're one in Christ. And you're going to be able to look at them and say, you know, what brings us together is our unity here. This is us together sharing in our, in our, in our faith and doing that together. And it's such a beautiful picture when we think about that diversity and we see it and we go, we are one. Even though we come at it from such different places. And I think about our church and I think about even here on a Sunday, there's diversity in this room. Could there be more diversity? Absolutely. Should we continue to be open now? Should we continue to be a place that says all are welcome and we don't look at superficial things, but we say where is our unity in Christ? But I also think about in the course of the day, there's a Korean church that's beginning. We don't understand the language that they're using to worship God, but they're expressing their praise and their worship It's happening in this place. We also have a Hispanic congregation that meets here, and they have a different style of worship and a different way of approaching it, but we are united, we are connected, sometimes in the same space, sometimes in different spaces, but that is the beauty of the world that we live in and that is represented in the church. And I think what the Bible teaches us, and I think what we see here is that we are to give a picture to the world of what true unity can look like that Democrats and Republicans can worship in the same space <laughs> without shouting, <laughs> without backbiting, without devouring each other. Because it's not about those things. We go to a higher place. We go to a higher authority. We go to a place that brings us together, and it's the unity in Christ. 
Now, I wish the church was a perfect picture. I wish it was. It's not. Throughout history, there's been some ugly parts of our history in the church. We can't deny that. There's, plays, there's, there's, there's been killing in the name of Christ. There's been horrible things done, people ostracized in different ways and, 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 in history, but also in, in modern day today, there's been hurtful things. I've said hurtful things to some of you. I've done things that I regret within the church because we're human, and I don't use that as an excuse, but I use that as a reality. There's sin. There's still a humanness. We have not been fully sanctified until we spend that day before Jesus one day where there will be no sin and there will be no more pain and sorrow and we will treat each other in the way that we ought to. But there's challenges. There's different, different opinions. There's different views. There's different theology. There's different things that, that, that those who profess faith in Christ will believe and see things different in Scripture. And yet, where do we find our unity? And sometimes that causes separation and division. But sin and fallenness is a part of our reality. And if you think it's just a more recent phenomenon, you only have to read your Bible <laughs> to realize it's not. The first century, the very first church as a form that Paul was starting this church is, he had to write to address all kinds of things. Conflict and division. He had to address right away. New church, conflict and division. Sin and immorality is addressed over and over again in Scripture. Sexual immorality, impurity, addressed. Disorder and worship, legalism, idolatry, syncretism, this idea of blending together different faiths and thinking a little bit of this and a little bit of that creates our faith, and he was clear on some of those things. No. Lack of love and compassion, all these things we see present. In 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to his successor, to a young protege, to Timothy, who's guiding churches and who's beginning to teach and lead, and he writes this to them. To him, he says, but if I'm delayed, I've written so that you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. He's writing, this is how people are going to have to conduct themselves. We're going to have to have some ways in which we function and work together to understand what this is about. And he's addressing challenges and difficulties and problems. But he's saying, stick through it. Work through it. We live in an age where if something isn't quite, doesn't quite sit right with you, you take your toys and you go somewhere else. Instead of working through it. The same lesson I taught, the message I taught a couple weeks ago about settling the family feud for families, that applies in the church. Don't sweat the small stuff. How do you confront one another in love and in truth? How do you forgive and how do you reconcile? And what happens in those relationships that work their way through that is powerful. And so we see that and we have that opportunity in the church and and to humble ourselves and say, God, we need help, we need guidance as your family, but we're going to stay connected. So let me just challenge you here with, with this, if we are the family. To be a family, we have to do what family does. To be a family, we have to do what family does. And just three things, there's lots of things, I just picked a couple here. Love, show up, and serve. Love, show up, and serve. John 13, so now I'm giving you a new commandment, Jesus said. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And Jesus is saying, this is it. This is the calling card. Love. Love like Jesus. That's easy, right? <laughs> we can teach forever and always on this. We have a whole other lesson on this, but this reminder that love is our calling card. Love should be the way that we approach one another, interact with one another, find community with one another. How well are you doing loving those around you? Loving those here as part of this community in this place. But it's not just loving, it's showing up. 
Hebrews 10.25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let's not neglect our meeting together. I know we've got great technology. I'm so glad we, we, we obviously provide online so that you can worship when you're not here or with you're traveling or you're not able to make it. But let me ask you, even if you're here, how well are you loving someone else? You need to show up. You need to take that step. You need to get in proximity with others in order to love, in order to do that. And so when you show up, it's, you need to know your presence matters. I, we can do the same thing. We can have all the same music. We can have all the classrooms prepared for the kids. We can have, I can have this message done. And you know, it, it, it's just different if there are just five people in this room versus hundreds in this room. Would you, would you agree with me? What's the only difference? Your presence. <laughs> But we don't think it matters. If I don't come, I don't, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm just going to watch church, or I'm just going to skip it this week. Your presence matters. You don't understand. Your presence matters because it, it, it influences others. It's the way that you show your love. It's the way that you share and join your voice and praise together and in worship and, in, and receiving the message and applying it to our lives and in praying together and saying, this is who we are. you got to show up. And so it's important, don't underestimate the power of just showing up. Just like in your family, if you never show up, it's hard to show that love. Show up in person. Be there. Serve. Give. Come to your, go to your life group. Do those things. You know, this, this last week it was cool to see the church showing up, and we have uh, our, our, our next-gen pastor, Tim. Is he still in here somewhere? Or I don't know, maybe he's attending. Yeah, there he's back there, Tim. And, uh, and his wife, Becky, they've been in this, uh, this, this journey of, of, of preparing for fostering, and within about two, three hours or something like that, they got a call, and their life went from normal to having two one-month-old twins to take care of. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we, uh, we celebrate that with them, and some calls began to go around. What do you need? What can you do? And so Shannon did, picked up a few things, and we were able to deliver those things and, and bring them to their house and to see them. And when we came in, there was already, Morgan was already there. She was holding one of the babies. And we weren't even there very long, and, and already another car full came, and other three ladies came in. Make sure you guys are all over there. You know, ready to, I mean, just ready to hold babies and, and to be a part of that. And I think that's showing up, right? That's community. That's the church being present and loving in that way. The third thing here, I said serve, right? Galatians 6.10, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. We do good to everyone. Do good to everyone, but why, I think it's interesting as that, but especially to those in the family of faith, take care of your family first. Be there, serve one another, care for one another, right? Be involved. We're going to be doing a series in, in, in August looking at the one another's in Scripture, so we'll dive more into what it looks like to be the family, but to be there for each other. Again, you can't do that from a distance. It's there. It's to get close. It's been awesome to see the church and to see Meadow Park, the needs that you have met sometimes personally that I will never know. Or some that the church won't know as a whole, but how you care for one another, especially through life groups. When you're there together, you're celebrating birthdays, you're going through hard times, you're visiting each other if you're having a surgery or in the hospital. That's not just something for the pastors to do, my friends. That's something to do as a community for each other. Can I please get an amen on that? Amen. That is what it means to care for one another and to be in that place. Love, show up, serve. It's so important. When I think about this family that God has created, I'm so glad... I'm a part of this family. And I'm so glad that we get to build this family, grow this family, that God's given us a vision to say, what can it be like? 
I hope and pray that it's more than just showing up on a Sunday morning and saying, I just want to hear a message and sing some songs and go home and not talk to anybody, not see anybody. That's not family. Now, it takes some time to get involved in the family. It takes some time to connect. But it also takes time for us to welcome others in, to have a big heart. You know, when we talk about belonging, right, to create this community, belong, believe, and become. Belonging, being a part of that, being known, knowing others, loving but not just that, believing that it's grounded in faith, it's grounded in truth. It's where we submit ourselves to the word of God and say, this is who we are and this is what we follow. And we put our sights on Jesus and we set our sights on him. And then it's about becoming and being on mission for God, accomplishing something together for his purposes in this world. And that grows us together. That's what bonds us as a family. And I pray that we would always have our doors open and that we would always have a seat at the table for anyone, that there's always room for more to be a part of what God is doing in this place and in his kingdom and in his church. We're gonna close with the time of communion. When I think about communion, I think about this message and I think about family. This is God's table. This is the table. When we think about a family gathering at the table to share a meal together, it's when you have a seat at the table that you know you're part of that family. And I want you to know that there is a table that God has prepared for us, that he's inviting us to, that Jesus is the host, and he's saying, come to this table. I sang that song kind of weird earlier, The Family of God. Not the song, the way I was singing it. But I want you to hear a line from this song, and it says this, From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong. And I love this line, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God, I belong. I mean, what a, what a, what a statement. I'm not, none of us are worthy to be here. None of us are worthy of this family. It's not like I paid a membership due. I was so righteous and so awesome. God said, you get to be part of the family. No, nobody comes into this family in that way. We all have to humble ourselves. I remember um, I, was in, I was in Lebanon in the Middle East, in Beirut, and, and we were touring some different sites and and one of the places um it was this it was this like kind of a small castle and um and it was very ornate and one of the strange things is though when you went into it it had like this three-foot door i mean it's beautiful like castle and a three-foot front door <laughs> and the story behind the three-foot front door was that the guy who built the castle he was made fun of, he was ridiculed, he was like, people didn't believe in him his whole life, and so he said, when he built this, he said, I'm gonna build a three-foot front door so that everyone who comes into my house has to bow to come into my house. <laughs> so that's one way to get people to, to humble. Not a direct correlation, but the idea, we have to bow, we have to submit, we have to come to a place of, of brokenness where we come to the foot of the cross and every person that has a seat at the table says at some point, I'm not worthy, but God loves me. He knows me. And we read in John 1, it says, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And so as we come to this table, I want to ask you, are you part of that family? Have you surrendered your life? Have you said, you know what, I need to be adopted by my heavenly father and i want to engage in this family in a way that i can grow and that i can be nurtured and that i can grow in my truth and really discover who i am with young and old around a family together but it begins by understanding what we do when we gather to this table 
Because when we come to this table, what Jesus said, when you gather, when you come together, you're doing this to remember me, to remember what I did for you on the cross. And so as he was sitting with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it. He gave thanks and he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. This morning, maybe for the first time, you might acknowledge and say, I want to be part of this family. God, I want what you have done for me. I receive your gift of forgiveness. And if you have made that decision in your life, this is the time where we remember and where we give thanks and say, thank you, Jesus, for your body broken for me on the cross. Let's take and eat together the body of Christ. And at that same table, Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup represents a new covenant. It's a new day. You're going to have life, forgiveness of sins. My blood spilled out for you for the forgiveness of those sins. If we've received Christ, we give thanks for that forgiveness. Let's take and give thanks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, It's so good that you love us, that you have made a way for us, that you want to be in relationship with us, that you don't want to be a distant God, an unknown creator, a force of some sort, but God, that you are Abba, Father, Daddy, that we can come to you, that you love us, that you wrap your arms around us when we fail, when we make mistakes because of what your son did for us on the cross. Jesus, we give you thanks for your sacrifice for your love, and that even though we may not feel worthy to be here, God, but we belong, and you have welcomed us. God, I thank you for this family. I thank you for our church. God, I pray for each and every person here that we would grow closer to one another as we grow closer to you, that we would take risks in community and in caring and loving for one another, that we would take steps to grow in our faith and to seek the help from those around us. And God, that we would be on mission together for you as a family ever-expanding, ever-reaching, helping more and more people know your love through this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.